She's an association management executive with a passion for engagement, whether grassroots advocacy or the development and advancement of regional chapter affiliates, both domestically and internationally. In the last two decades, she has served as a political affairs manager, a director of congressional relations, a senior director of chapter support services, the director of the Executive Leadership Council, and most recently as the chief global member engagement officer. Working with members and chapters in more than 125 countries, she's driven to promote membership policies and benefits, design strategies to retain and recruit members, oversee foundations, chapters, councils, and association government affairs efforts. With a unique background in advocacy and activism, membership and stakeholder relations, as well as association management operations, her diverse expertise makes her a valuable partner and advisor to global nonprofit clients. A native of Sacramento, California, she received her undergraduate degree in political science and English literature from the University of California, Davis, and a Master of Arts in Government with Honors from Johns Hopkins University. She's a certified association executive by the American Society of Association Executives, considered the highest level of professional competency in association management, and serves to elevate professional standards. Join me on this episode of the Curvebenders podcast with my friend and NOR cohort community member, Elisa Pratt. Hi there, this is David Knorr, host of the Curvebenders podcast. I'm excited to share insights with you at the intersection of the future of work and strategic relationships. Make no mistake about it, there are a number of forces in the next two decades that will dramatically change the way we live, the way we work, the way we play, and the way we serve others. And I believe there are these relationships that will come into our lives that can change both the direction and destination of where we're headed. Those are the individuals I call curvebenders. So in each episode, I want to share with you insights from our research, from our interviews of great guests and their incredible experiences. I want to invite people to share their ideas and examples of not just coaches and mentors, but real curvebenders that have had a profound impact on their lives. Specifically, we're going to talk about pragmatic ideas in the evolution of your skills, your knowledge, and your behaviors. So let's get started. I'm excited to announce that we've launched a brand new series. For the last several months, I've been partnering with a longtime friend, business colleague, uh, Jennifer Bridges at PDUsToGo.com to create a new series called PM Next. Jennifer and I met several months ago, and we talked about COVID-19 as an impetus for project management professionals to really think and lead differently with a whole new set of new competencies. So we've attracted, we've recruited some incredible minds, both thought leaders, practice leaders from within the project management community, as well as external to it, to share some great insights. So my friend and MG100 colleague, Aisha Brussel, talks about designing the work for a new world. Molly Chang talks about saying it skillfully for project managers. Another one of our NOR cohort community members, Clint Paget, uh, talks about his passion for shifting the worry curve. 
global project manager leader Antonio Nieto Rodriguez talks about competencies needed to succeed in the project economy. But we also have a lot of interesting people from outside of the project management community. Specifically, Marcus Whitney and Charlie Paparelli talk about entrepreneurship and project management. David Hutchins talks about storytelling in crisis. Peter Bregman talks about emotional courage. And not only did he make me both meditate, but also dance in our episode, but it was a lot of great fun to talk to. John Baldoni and Luke Carter talking about crisis leadership and most love workplaces. I was really excited to interview Aaron Thorpe talking about the empathetic leader and Lisa McLeod leading with a noble purpose. Others like Hani Berger finding calm and peace amidst of chaos Nat Pham on bridging the gap between strategy and execution with OKRs. Eddie Turner talked about emerging as a leader. And one of our favorites, Sean Rodell, a senior executive at Oceaneering, talked about introspection, blind spots, and steady stewardship. Learn more about the PM Next series through pdustogo.com and the NOR cohort community at PDUs, the number two, go.com. Slash PM dash next. Welcome back to another uh, episode of the Curvebenders podcast. Today I'm joined by, let's see, a former client, a recent colleague, and a friend, Elisa Pratt. Elisa, welcome to the Curvebenders podcast. Thank you, David. I'm proud to be here. So, for those who may not know as much about you, your background, can you just talk for a few minutes about where you've been, what you've done, and how you've arrived here? Absolutely. I, I consider myself a, a nonprofit ninja. I am firmly committed to the nonprofit space and uh, work almost exclusively with membership associations, nonprofit organizations that serve both the, the donor community, the professional society, or the trade association space. So those are my clients. Those are my people. And uh, I am proud to speak their language. And you were a client in a previous life. Talk about how did you arrive here to uh, share with the audience a little about your background. I was. I sat on the other side of the table for, gosh, almost 20 years, I hate to admit. But uh, back when I was an executive director at, uh, at an association, I had the opportunity to, uh, to meet you and brought you in as a, a thought leader and a keynote speaker for, uh, for one of my convention events and was able to introduce you to that that audience and, and share some of the strategic relationship solutions that you were were famous for at the time and uh, and really serving that community um, at that time it was a trade association and we were bringing member companies together serving them on Capitol Hill fighting for them as as advocates but also providing content and professional development to them. So in that association space we were serving them as business leaders. Well, you decided to go out on your own and join the dark side of the force working uh, on this side with 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 association executives. Talk about some of the challenges you continue to see with the global pandemic with in, you know our economy recovering from a a, a crater. What are some of these association executives struggling with right now? You know, there are, it's more than the perfect storm. They are taking punches from, from every direction and uh, it's, it's tough. This is, this has been a challenging time to see my former colleagues, my, my current clients and, and longtime friends struggle as their, their associations deal with all the, all that the current environment has to include. And what I see happening, and it's, it's similar to what we know 
the human experience to be. I see organizations that are, are, you know, they're in a freeze, a fight or a flight mode. And they're really picking between one of these three paths in some of their early reactions. And it's, it's a struggle for those that are, that are frozen, that, that don't know how to proceed or are so concerned with making the wrong decision moving forward, whether to cancel their event or whether to put out a statement on social injustice or how to best serve their member. They, there's so many what ifs and there's so much information that they don't have that they are, they're paralyzed. Their hands are, are, are tied with, with uncertainty and doubt and their, their membership is, uh, is being poorly served in that, in that absence. One of the challenges I've seen in the association space, and I'd welcome your comment on this, is is the business model, right? So if uh, – particularly for trade associations, if the preponderance of your value uh, and your value proposition comes from either membership, you know, fees and dues or sponsorships in your big event, when either one of those are threatened, you're in real trouble, right? So the ones that have adapted – what are they doing differently? The ones that have figured out that it just can't be those two buckets. Mm-hmm. What have you seen work? What have you seen resonate? What have you seen keep associations relevant? You know, those organizations that have been agile and quickly adapted to these current circumstances, they've they've been able to understand this context and the new constraints that they're in. I think that they have they're using this opportunity to experiment. And if it means going virtual, if it means engaging their members in a new way and not waiting for that in-person meeting to be redefined or rescheduled, they have relationships with their members. These are experiential value propositions that they have with their constituents. It's, it's not transactional. And the difficulty is they had this strength of relationship going into this. So this, these circumstances are really exposing the weaknesses um, and, and the, the lack of value that had already existed. But for those organizations that had, had those strengths and that foundation, they're able to take some risks. They're able to prototype. They're able to try some new things and really uh, accelerate their adoption of, of some pretty awesome, of some pretty awesome uh, innovations. But uh, those that, that are succeeding, um, they're not waiting. They're not waiting. They're, they're trying new things and they're maximizing their, uh, their networks, uh, their, the trust within the membership and their donor base that they already had. What do you believe the future of associations and nonprofits look like? If you and I were to revisit 10 years from now, or is there still membership? Are there still events? Do you envision people still getting together for annual conferences and events. And so what do you see the future of associations going? You know, I think this is an opportunity for associations. After the 2008 uh, Great Recession, the number of associations in these last 12 years has actually increased. So after that time of disruption and challenge, we didn't see associations go away. We haven't seen that the, the need for them in both industry and profession in, in, in social issues go away. They're here and they're a part of, of the national network, the national conversation. And this is their opportunity to become, I think, more relevant and to really harness the humanity that they, they can possess. Um, you know, we, we talk about associations and, and they are made up of people. They're made up of the leaders 
that make them who they are. And if those leaders can, can really become and show themselves as the authentic leaders, the, the vulnerable and, and human leaders that, that we know they can be, I think they can give great voice to their mission and to their visions that, uh, that their nonprofits were, were created to advance. Um, this is an important chance to, to step up and be more valuable because the people they're serving are in greater need as well. One of my favorite uh, nonprofit stories is uh, Scott Harrison over at uh, Charity Water. And, and what, a, what a phenomenal success those guys have, uh, have recognized in, in their worthy cause. And for our audience who may not know or have heard of the term, but Charity Water raises funds for uh, clean water globally, uh, predominantly started in Africa. Now they've expanded to other markets. But, but Lisa, I love his uh, notion that 100% of what you donate actually goes to the cause. We'll raise funds in other ways to pay for our staff and pay for our infrastructure. That seems to be an Achilles heel for some associations, uh, attracting exceptional talent, and really investing in their infrastructure. So technology and data and data analytics come to mind. Uh, what's your opinion on that? What have you seen, again, the four thinking leaders do in those arenas? You know, those who haven't been as aggressive in their adoption of technology leading up to this now have that opportunity. The board is not going to push back when you say you have to adopt the digital strategy you've been waiting on, or you have to finally put into place the, the online solutions that, that you have architected and are ready to go. This is a chance to, to adopt and innovate in a more aggressive way than you ever have before. And, and, those leaders that are succeeding are they're they're asking forgiveness and not permission with their boards. But you mentioned the talent piece, and there's there's a talent shift going on in in multiple industries that that preceded these these challenging times. And I think the association space experiences that as well. Um, there will be a lot of uh, of reskilling that's going on during these times. And that'll be an important opportunity for people to cross train and people to retrain in ways and for tasks that they previously hadn't had to, had to master. So I think we raise the water for all boats during times like this, because we expect more of ourselves. We expect more of our organizations and our staff, and there will be those that are furloughed and let go. And, and there will be some amazing opportunities for organizations to, to snatch up really subject matter experts in spaces that, that they may not previously had had the opportunity. So there, there will be the loss of some associations. Some associations will have to um, merge. I, I have read research recently that, that talked about the number of uh, associations that have started to consider that. And only three months into these, to this, uh, this downturn, I think that's, it's an amazing conversation that's, that's already happening. You brought up uh, the board. In many associations, many nonprofits, that's a volunteer board, right, that governs. And unfortunately, or, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, the, their terms are typically one year, right? So by the time the new board comes in and gets their arms around what's happening and starts some of these initiatives, I feel like their term is halfway up and the mindset from that volunteer board may be not on my watch, right? So, and, and I'm not sure a whole lot of these innovative ideas will happen in that volunteer mindset, right? And in that, you know, with all good intent, 
But do you believe that the governance around board at nonprofits and associations could also use a refresh during this challenging times? Absolutely. And it reminds us that there's no one size fits all solution for governance across all organizations. I've been a part of and, and listened to conversations over these last couple of weeks about the extension of board terms so that as they do come, you know, come of age in their, their preparedness and their understanding of their role, they can then have time to actually uh, implement and put into practice those, those things that they have, they have, you know, been, been trained for. I've also heard discussion that the pipeline for board leadership is getting more and more difficult because board members know that leading in challenging times is, is challenging and they, they are, are, shying away from these volunteer positions. So board leadership is something that we have to evaluate differently now. We have to better prepare board members. We have to cultivate and and nurture that leadership pipeline more so than ever before. And we have to make sure that it's it provides a diverse thought leadership. It can't be the same people that may have circled through the board positions for years and years and years. This is an opportunity to have that diversity and inclusion discussion at the board level as well. But uh, serving boards and and guiding boards, I think it also reminds us of the importance of that staff expertise because they are the component in this that remains the constant and they are there to, to guide and to give the board the information necessary to make strategic decisions and to see those decisions through. So it, it shows you the importance on both sides of the equation. You and I both have been, uh, you more so than me, but active and certainly aware of the American Society of Association Executives, ASAE, as the governing body of, of these associations. Talk about two, three things that you believe ASAE does exceptionally well and you believe will continue. And then you know where I'm going with this. I'm going to flip the coin and ask you what are you know maybe one or two things that could improve. You know, ASAE is an important kind of spoke, you know, it's, it's the center of the wagon wheel, if you will, for, for the association community, at least in the United States. And uh, it also is, is the organization that I hold my, my credential with, my certification as a certified association executive. So they, they've been around for a very long time. And, and recently, um, with the passing of their longtime CEO and uh, the, the naming of, of a new CEO, they've they've gone through a time of transition and I've been very proud of them for, for handling how they've handled that. Um, They're dealing with a diverse constituency themselves. They are the ultimate macro view that, that all the individual associations go through. You know, I mean, they're an association of, of associations. They have, have the most critical membership because they're all doing the same functions and going through the same challenges. But in that way, they're, they're best, they're, they're designed to, to best serve and best address the issues that their individual members are tackling as well. So I, I look to them as leaders in the industry. Um, I, I was interested to see how they would handle their large annual conference. Um, they've recently announced the cancellation of that and the the transition of it into a into a virtual event. They're continuing the delivery of content um, and moving to that virtual model. So they're going through the same growing pains that all of the associations are going through as well. And in that sense, I am quite proud of them and have had great confidence in the best practices that they've been willing to share. 
They're highly transparent. And they expressed, I was on a conference call with their CEO just a few weeks ago, and they admitted that they had just had their first Zoom board meeting. They had previously had all their board meetings in person and were just having to move to virtual board meetings. You know, this was back in April. April of 2020 was their very first virtual board meeting. So the fact that they were willing to share, you know, share that and uh, and and share the the pain points that they're experiencing shows me their their humility and and the authentic leadership that that they're able to demonstrate. So they've uh, they're at the point of the spear, and I, I appreciate the, how difficult that can be, but they have they have done so with uh, with great great dexterity. So areas, and that sounds fabulous, and, and I think Susan, their new CEO, is, is very competent, very capable. She's been around that organization for years and will do great things. Talk about one or two areas that they could improve. What, what's one or two things that they could, they could likewise think and lead differently? How could they do that? You know, being on both sides of it, having been a member as a staff person within an association, um, I, I, I felt a bit uh, – I didn't find a, a – of a good footing there. I felt like they were very geared towards associations of certain size. Um, you know, a lot of their membership, uh, comes from, you know, medical, the medical societies and, and others. I, I didn't find that they had a great, uh, platform, um, or network for those representing trade associations. That's a place I'd love to see them get a little more invested in, um, as well as the support of, of those in service to chapter networks and those who specialize in component relations. That's an area of passion and, and expertise for me. In almost all of my association positions, I've supported networks of hundreds and do, you know, hundreds of chapters, chapters in, in different regions, in different countries, in different jurisdictions that are all working under one network. Um, and, and those are very unique structures to support and to to advance in a in a strategic way and i would love to see them offer some uh, some best practices maybe even a certification or credential in that space um because it's it's different how you support a chapter or an affiliate is is different than how you you know sell a trade show or publish uh an an association magazine Mm. and they need to be served differently so uh, curve benders, relationships that dramatically impact both your direction and destination. In thinking about your journey and uh, where you've been, what you've done, can you think about some curve benders in your life that have not just helped you improve as a manager or leader, but really have had a profound impact on your, what I'm calling your nonlinear growth? Yeah, absolutely. I, I in preparation for this curve benders conversation, I, I I did some of the googling and wanted to make sure I knew exactly what you meant by curve bender as well. And the person who came to mind for me was was someone I was introduced to during a somewhat dark period. Um, her name was Lisa Lisa Neighbors. She's a, a strategic leadership coach with a, with a consulting firm here in DC and. I was sent to her as a, as a, as a leadership advisor. She was, she was someone I worked with for, for several months. And my employer at the time had wanted to help me, uh, I think help me identify some, some empathetic skill sets, help me communicate with, with my staff in a, in a new way. And she was really the first one in a professional setting that was able to 
to hold up a mirror and, and in a, in a safe way, help me see and really come to accept my, my strengths and weaknesses. And she gave me some, some very important tools. And, you know, thankfully from her, you know, I was able to design my own, you know, I was able to design, design and understand what authentic leadership meant for me. And, uh, and it was, you know, it was about a sincerity. It was about, it was about a humility and uh, a selflessness that as a leader, I had, I had come to forget and I needed to be reminded of. So I, I always thank her for setting me on that better and more human path because it's not always about profits and numbers and, and transactions. It, it really is about, about the human relevance of these organizations. And I think we're reminded of that now more than ever. So in thinking about your interaction with others, whether it's your, your clients or colleagues or collaborators in the community, what do you believe are some of the attributes that make someone a great curve bender? You know, it's funny, uh, you mentioned ASAE earlier, and, you know, Reggie Henry is the, uh, the chief technology officer there, and he has this four-part mantra, and he applies it to technology. But when I heard it, it actually translated to me in terms of leadership and in terms of curve benders. His four buckets of success and impact come down to conversations, content, commitments, and connections. And to me, those are the real four pieces of a curve benders map. You know, if you can have those conversations, if you can connect with people through what you say, words matter. And if you can inspire and motivate and, and communicate through, through conversations, I think you have had the real potential to impact someone else's trajectory. But, but if you don't have anything to say, if the content isn't there, if there isn't any meat to your thoughts, to your, your philosophies, to that advice and guidance that then, then there's no, there's nothing to build your, your curve bender profile on, but uh, you know, and then as it is in every human relationship, there's commitments that trust has to be there, that, that see it through promise um, to whomever you are, you are helping and, and working to influence. And then there are those connections. I think to me, that means being a connector and having solid connections yourself. So I think back to those four C's that 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 uh, that Reggie laid out as as strategies for for a curve bender as well. Mm, I love that. And Reggie is such a just a kind and gentle man. Is always be great. It's great to be around him. So for uh, for folks who want to learn more about you and your work, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, I'm very active on LinkedIn, but uh, you can go direct to me at www.brewerprattsolutions.com. So we'll share that in the show notes as well. Elisa, thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for your insights and all the great work that you're doing around the uh, association and nonprofit uh, space. And uh, and look forward to more of your insights on on the direction of, of future of associations. Thank you, David. I really appreciate you advancing this conversation. And, and thanks for having me today. My pleasure. If you've listened to the Curvebenders podcast for a few episodes, you know that I'm writing the Curvebenders book on why strategic relationships will power your nonlinear growth in the future of work. This will be book number 11 with tools, ideas, insights, case studies, great interviews like the one you heard today. In essence, what you need to create a personal and professional growth roadmap in your future of work. 
I'm excited to begin sharing key sections with the members of our NOR forum community. So go to norgroup.com slash forum and check out the Curve Benders thread for more details. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Curvebenders podcast with my friend and NOR cohort community colleague, Elisa Pratt. Elisa's always thought-provoking, and I've enjoyed every one of our conversations. Three comments she made during our interview really resonated with me. Number one, associations are extremely relevant if they can adapt. This global pandemic has really driven the incredible need for content, so thought and practice leadership, but also community. Think about it. When we physically can't get together, what an amazing opportunity for associations to lead new, creative, interesting, immersive opportunities for global members to connect, to engage, to learn from each other, and really figure out how to collectively move the needle on that particular industry. Number two, the governance. Uh, If it's visionary leadership, if the governance model begins to really think about COVID as an opportunity to rethink, reimagine, reinvent, reskill the association, some of its talent. It absolutely can remain relevant and actually believe can grow in really new, interesting, tangential markets. Last but not least, I love her comment about becoming a curve vendor. Reggie Henry at ASAE is one of those wise souls. And uh, his point, which Elisa adapted and I think had great reference to in terms of conversations and content and commitment and connections, the four C's that it takes and a starting point to become a curve bender was really interesting, really valuable to me. Don't forget, I turned the show notes from these podcasts into more in-depth articles. So check them out in our free member-based community, NOR Forum. Join us at norgroup.com slash forum. I'm so thankful for our listeners on the Curvebenders podcast. I want to keep producing great content most beneficial to your personal and professional growth in this idea of future of work. So I'd love to hear your feedback. Don't forget to follow us on the various social media channels. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. And I'm using the hashtag Curvebenders podcast. So make sure you follow that for all of our latest updates. 